Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, it was Jesus who declared that the greatest demonstration of love is to sacrifice oneself for another. Certainly, the love of God is seen in Gethsemane and Calvary, and for that matter, the whole of Jesus' living. Uh, but what Jesus endured on our behalf was not only suffering physically, in uh, all that went with being crucified, he also suffered emotionally, and suffering emotionally can in many ways uh, be more painful and more taxing than suffering physically. Uh, the psalmist, uh, making an allusion uh, to Christ Jesus, David, Psalm 69, verse 20 said, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Uh, we ought to be ever grateful that Jesus was willing to endure all that he did uh, for our sakes, uh, because what he endured did not make him any more God than he already was, uh, nor did it earn him anything that he did not already have. Uh, but for his sacrifice, uh, for his example, and for all that he enables us to be are things for which we should be eternally grateful. Was glad I sat down and looked across the row and saw our brother in the Lord, Brother Dwayne Castile. And I think it's the first time I've seen Brother Castile other than via Zoom uh, in some time. Now, usually I see him every month on Zoom uh, good to see him uh, in person. We have known him for quite some time. Uh, he's doing a great work with the disaster relief. Uh, just good to see him this morning. And I think he's traveling solo. I'm going to guess that because I don't see is it Betty. I think that's his wife's name, Betty. I don't see her with him. So uh, we have fellowship because I'm traveling solo this morning. Uh, as well. So just good to see you, my brother. Uh, good to see him and have him with us in our audience uh, this morning. We want to direct your attention uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, we want to read again there verse number 24. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 in your Bibles, who in his, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Based on the words of Peter, we want to use this morning as a subject, sufferings for sins not his own. Bear in mind, the theme for 2021 is staying focused on Jesus. And as a sub-theme for July, uh, we are talking about things Jesus endured. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in 1 Peter chapter 2, the subject matter of the Apostle Peter, it 
is what is called in scholarly circles, the vicarious atonement of Christ. Now the word vicarious means performed or suffered by one person as a substitute for another or to the benefit or advantage of another. A synonymous term would be the word substitutionary. Now on the previous two Sundays, we have uh, given consideration to two messages from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses one through 13, uh, concerning things Jesus endured, the shame of the cross and the contradiction of sinners. Now, without going into graphic detail about the brutality of Roman crucifixion, I believe that it's readily apparent that Jesus endured a great deal physically. But let us note two additional considerations. While Jesus endured a great deal physically and being crucified, he also endured a great deal mentally and emotionally. You remember in Matthew 26 and verse number 38, uh, the Bible says, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Uh, this was an ordeal for the Savior. Moreover, he also endured during the length of his personal ministry, all that goes in dealing with people. Have you ever thought about what goes in dealing with people? And, and, and I don't mean everybody else. I, I mean with you and me. Have you ever thought about what goes in? Because people are people. And, and when we read the gospel accounts, where we notice that Jesus endured opposition and criticism, unbelief and, and rejection and, and a whole host of other things. And, and if we appreciate what is recounted for us in the gospel accounts, then we appreciate that Jesus is the paragon of endurance. In Hebrews 4 and verse 15 in your Bibles, it is declared, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What the Hebrew writer is saying is Jesus knows what it is to deal with you and me. You know, with our mood changes and our mood swings and our changes, uh, uh, you know, that we just go through eh? where we come in sometime and uh, you ever seen somebody come in and you just think they're not themselves. If Jesus said, I I've dealt with all of that, with all of you, all the time, or all at the same time. And when we think about suffering, suffering is never pleasant. You know, even when it's the result of our wrong or, or bad choice, it, it's unpleasant. But when I suffer because I made a bad choice, it's still suffering. Uh, uh, when I suffer as a consequence of some wrong that I've done, it is still suffering. It is never pleasant. But Jesus, and, and only Jesus, can say that he always suffered innocently. Now, I know we like to play the victim sometime, but only Jesus always suffered innocently. But Jesus, in all matters, is the pattern for Christian living. John declares to us in 1 John 2, verse 6, 
he that saith that he abideth in him also himself also also so to walk even as he walked. Now, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, if we follow the apostles' train of thought in the text, it is clear that he believed that suffering was an expected and necessary consequence of being a faithful follower of Christ Jesus. We live in a contrary world. That there's just no way you go through life staying faithful to the Father and never have any run-ins or any disagreements with the world. But inasmuch as suffering can try one's faith and one's patience, Peter, as did the other apostles, makes an appeal to the example of Jesus. He says in verse number 20 there, uh, 21, that uh, Jesus that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. I, I want us to consider this morning uh, some things that Jesus uh, endured in terms of sufferings for sins, not his own. Now in verse number 24 again, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. I submit to you, number one this morning, that Jesus is our substitute by his sufferings. And appreciate Jesus didn't suffer for suffering's sake. Passively, he suffered for our redemption, but actively he suffered as a matter of submission to the Father's will. And we have not only his example uh, in response to adversity, but there is the significance of his suffering for human redemption. In Isaiah 53 and verse number five, Isaiah prophesied, he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. Now. God alone fully understands the justice of the vicarious atonement of Christ, but we can be clear about the apostles' declaration. We are healed by his wounds. And Peter was deliberate in his choice of language. Uh, in the law of Moses, when a person had committed a significant public sin, he was executed. Now, that's just the way the law of Moses was. There were things that you could do that, that, that you could be put to death for. Uh, you know, if you had a child that just uh, got out of pocket with his parents and, and was just sassing the parents and all of that kind of thing, that the parents could take them down to the elders and, and have the child stoned. I know we got a lot of young people that are glad we're not living under the law because uh, you might not be with us uh, uh, anymore right now. Now, we got some older folk that are glad we're not living under the law, uh, because if we were under the law, they're older now, but they might not have made it to older. But, but in the law of Moses, you could be executed for certain sins. And as a commentary on the enormity of the crime, the corpse was put on public display. Uh, uh, look with me, if you will, uh, at Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, verses 22 and 23 in your Bibles. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 21, and beginning at verse number 22, it says, and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now, now notice what Moses said. There were some sins that were punishable by execution. And if you executed that individual, uh, then the individual was to be hung on a tree. Now, the word uh, uh, tree there in Deuteronomy uh, uh, 21, 22, and 23. Now, don't miss uh, uh, where, where we're going with this. The apostle Paul made an unmistakable connection between Deuteronomy 21 and Jesus's death on the cross uh, in Galatians 3, verse number 13. He says there, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Well, now, Paul, where did you get that from? Uh, from back there in Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, the word translated cross in 1 Peter 2.24 is the same word that is translated as tree in Galatians 3, verse 13. Now, so what they are saying is that what you and I have earned by our sin, Jesus took upon himself that we might be free from the curse of sin. He's our substitute by his sufferings. And, and, and I just tried to think of something comparable uh, 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 that we might relate to uh, uh, in our world today. And, and about the best I could do, uh, they had a thing called a dunce cap. That they, they tell me in the days of yore that this was a part of, of the educational experience. And so I went and Googled the dunce cap and Google said school children were sometimes compelled to wear a dunce cap and to stand or sit on a stool in the corner as a form of punishment for misbehaving or for failing to demonstrate that they had properly performed their studies. Now, by the time I came through, the dunce cap had been abandoned. But can you imagine, you know, that when I came through, they made you memorize the timetables. And, and, you know, the teacher would just go around the room just calling out random uh, uh, multiplication facts. And you imagine she says seven times eight, and, and rather than respond 56, you just kind of there, uh, I haven't got to the sevens or the eights yet. And you know, the ones and the twos are easy. You know, two times two is four. And you're not doing anything if you can do the ones and the twos. You're really not even doing anything if you do the fives. You know, if you, you play hide and seek regular, you can count by five. And you know, I used to do five, 10, 15, 20, 25. And you're not really doing anything if you can count by five, but maybe they get to the sevens or the eights. You know, seven times seven, 49. Uh, seven times eight, 56. But, but, but you don't respond right away. And, and so the teacher says, uh, would you come uh, uh, stand here and put on the dunce cap. Can you imagine just having to stand before the whole class wearing that dunce cap? 
Well, now, what if somebody decided to wear the dunce cap for you? Now, now I'm not the dunce. You should have studied harder. Uh, you knew when you came in here, you were taking a chance on being called. But, but, but there was a stigma associated with wearing the dunce cap. But imagine wearing the cap for someone else. Well, well, I submit to you that that pales in comparison for what Jesus did for us at Calvary. He is our substitute by his sufferings. But, but not only that, I, I want to backtrack to verse number 21. Uh, there in 1 Peter 2, 21, Peter says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Not only is Jesus our substitute by his sufferings, but he is also our standard in his sufferings. In consideration of all this, remember our calling, even as Peter reminded his original audience. If you look back in verse nine there in 1 Peter 2, Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people. There's something different about you as the people of God. You can't respond to things the way the world does. I, I know the world might fight fire with fire, and I know the world may say, I don't get mad, I get even, but, but you are different from the world. Notice what he says uh, uh, there in verse 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, submission in the face of unjust treatment is both possible and tolerable when we remember that Jesus himself suffered unjustly. And, and, and when we talk about suffering, uh, there are no excuses accepted. And because you know, we'll make the excuse, uh, we'll make an excuse rather, to attempt to justify ourselves when we refuse to suffer. You know, we'll say things like, you don't know what it's like, or you don't know the people that I know. You know, Job attempted to use that very excuse. Did you know that? Uh, as great a man as Job was, in Job chapter 10 and verses one through six, and I wanna read it, and I'm not casting stones at Job. I, I admire Job for, for all that he went through uh, for, for suffering, and uh, the first thing out of his mouth was praise to God. But, but look at Job chapter 10. Job 10, verse 1, my soul is weary of life. Now, Job had gone through something. He had lost all his stuff and all his children, and he had been stricken with a disease from head to toe. He says, I will leave my complaint upon, my, upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? Now, here's where Job is telling God, you don't know what it's like. Watch verse four. Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as man seeth? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days, that thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest? Uh, after my sin. Now, Job effectively said to God, 
that God really wasn't in a position to judge men since he had never experienced what it was like to be a man. Now, we don't have to debate whether or not that argument has merit, merit because when Jesus took on the flesh, he put that argument to rest. Remember, we already looked at uh, Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So you can never say to God, you don't know what it's like. Yes, he does. Uh, you don't know what it's like to have people lie on you. Yes, he does. I, I know what it's like to have even your best of friends lie on you. Remember, Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus. So, so there's never a time that we can say to God, you don't know what it's like. But a contrast between Jesus, who we ought to strive to be like, and Job, whose mistakes we often make, shows us the importance of Jesus as our example. Now, when called to Jesus, uh, when called to suffer rather, Jesus committed himself to the Father's will and care. Uh, look there in, in verse number 23. The Bible says, who when he was reviled, reviled not. Now that means when people started talking, he didn't respond in kind. Uh, you know what it is to have somebody say something to you? Man, sometimes we like Jeremiah uh, uh, with the word of God. It's just like fire shut up in our bones. If, if you say something to me, oh, I'm going to say something to you. But notice when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, that's what Jesus did. Jesus decided, I'm not going to do tit for tat. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm going to let my father handle this. Now, Joe, as we often do, said it was unfair. You know, I, I haven't done anything to suffer like this. And Job was right. You remember the conversation between God and Satan there in Job, uh, Job chapter 1? God testified on Job's behalf. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him? And then you remember Satan came back and said, doth Job serve God for naught? Now, it wasn't fair for Satan to come in and lie on Job and accuse him uh, uh, falsely, but Job was operating from a, a lack of knowledge and wrong theology. See, Job didn't know about the conversation between God and Satan and the wrong theology. God wasn't punishing him. God had rather was placing confidence in Job that Job could do what likely nobody else at that time would do. Job would be faithful even through the deepest of sufferings. Job, it's not true that when something bad happens to you, that's suffering for some wrong that you did. Now, now that might be commonly believed, but that's not the way life works. Now, something bad can happen to you, if you do something wrong, but every time somebody suffers, it's not an indication that they were wrong. Job, you're not wrong here. The whole reason you're suffering is because I have confidence in you. See, Job was unaware of the conversation between God and Satan, and I say that to say that sometimes we are unaware of what's going on in life. You ever question God about your sufferings? Lord, why me? It's not fair. I know people that, go, that don't go to church at all and not suffering like this. I know folk that don't believe the Bible and not going through what I go through. Well, how are you going to question God unless you know what God knows? 
Have you ever considered that maybe God is using you like he used Job? That maybe this ain't about suffering for something that you did wrong or that somebody else did wrong. Maybe God just has confidence in you like he had in Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Well, what God is telling Satan is, I know Job. You may not want to give Job credit, but I know Job. I know Job will be faithful even before I let you put your hand on him. I know Job is going to be faithful to me, and he's not faithful just because of the stuff that I let him have. Jesus is our standard in suffering. And let us be honest about why we're suffering. You know, uh, we're not Jesus. We don't always suffer innocently. Now, I'm not going to say that we've never suffered innocently, but sometimes we know why we're suffering, because of bad choices that I made. You know, because I spent money that I didn't have to spend. You know, one of the lessons I've learned is just because you can pay for it don't mean you can afford it. Now, now, how you know if you can afford it? Well, if you got to start counting pennies before the next payday, you can't afford it. If you got to start shifting, you know, I'm going to pay this bill this month and, and, and I'll pay that bill the next month, uh, you can't afford it. Now, ain't no need of me talking about how tight the economy is when I done brought stuff I can't afford. Now, maybe the economy is tight, but I just need to be wiser in my spending. Sometimes we do things to bring consequences on ourselves. But Jesus always suffered innocently. But I submit to you that whether we're suffering innocently or whether we're suffering for something that I did, Jesus ought to be our example. I ought to still carry myself that people will never doubt that I'm a child of God. You know, you ought not ever have to come back with that line where, you know, sometimes sin get the best, the best of the best of us. It never gets the best of us except we decide to give in. Remember, that's what Jesus' life was about, showing us that it can be done. Now, it can be done. We just don't always want to do it. Sometimes when somebody says something to me, I want to say something back. I, I want to go one better. If you say the wrong particular thing, not only will I say something back, but I'll get physical with you. Sometimes we just do wrong because we choose to do wrong, but let us never tell that lie, the devil made me do it. The devil never made anybody do anything. Now, he'll get in your ear and make suggestions, but you got to be a willing accomplice in order for it to come to pass. And then third this morning, in verse number 25, he says, for ye were as sheep going astray, but, now, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus is our shepherd because of his sufferings. You know, it's very appropriate that we are likened to sheep in scripture. Anybody in here a shepherd? I didn't think so, but if you, well, yep, yep, you're right, we got four. Okay, I thought a shepherd in, 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 in the David sense of the term. That's right, we do have four shepherds here. And you know what? They probably have David's experience. You know, watching over sheep can just be trying. Sometimes watching over sheep just make, you know what? I'm gonna let you just go on out there and let the wolf get you. Cause we keep going through this same thing over 
and over and over again. Now the elders didn't say that, I said that on their behalf. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't go into them saying, uh, you know, you said I'm a bad sheep. They said nothing of the sort. What Peter really said in verse number 25 is that we are continually straying like sheep. Not that we have an episode or two, but, but, but this is just who we are. We, we just stray, it's just in us. Again, in Isaiah 53, this time verse number six, Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep. You know, sometimes sheep go astray and they don't realize they're in trouble till they look up. They just put their head down and they munching grass and they munching and munching and they look up and the sheepfold is nowhere in sight. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is only because of the redemptive work of Christ at Calvary that we are able to be reconciled to God. But appreciate, this is not one and done. Uh, you remember the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, there's no one and done. There, there's no one thing you can do. Now, now, there are things we need to do. But there's not just one thing you do when the deal is just settled for all time. But because we are like sheep, we need the ongoing care, help, and protection of the one who is both shepherd and guardian. And you know, one of the things shepherds have to have is a whole lot of patience. Because sheep will repeat the same things that they've done over and over and over again. Can you imagine if God had a fuse as short as ours? You ever reached a point with somebody where you said, you know what, this just getting to be a habit with you. I'm through. Aren't you glad God didn't reach the point where he says I'm through? You know, the blood of Jesus will not cover you anymore. There will be no more opportunities for you to repent, no more grace and mercy. You, you've just been like this all your lifetime, and I'm through. I'm glad the grace and mercy of God is never exhausted. I'm glad that God is always willing to take us back if we will repent. You know, and at times we may be puffed up and deluded uh, as to our self-sufficiency, but a dose of adversity will bring us back to reality. You know, there may be times when we think I can take care of myself. You know, I don't need anybody. I, I can do this on my own. But a dose of adversity will bring us back to reality. Whatever else COVID-19 may be, I think it's a dose of reality. You know what? We exist day by day by the grace and mercy of God. We can do safe at home and vaccinated and everything else we want to, but it's by the grace of God that we continue to exist. And as sheep need a shepherd, so we need the Lord. I'm glad he was willing to endure sufferings for sins not his own. 
Because if you understand how the justice of God works, God required sinless blood. Well, once I commit a sin, my blood is no longer sufficient to do what needs to be done. Why do you think Paul said, for when we were yet without strength? There was nothing we could do to help ourselves. But the love of God was demonstrated in that Christ Jesus was willing to suffer for sins not his own. And in order to be reconciled to God, God requires that we hear the good news that Jesus was willing to suffer for sins not his own. Romans 10:17, the Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must believe Jesus to be the Christ. John 8, verse 24, Jesus declares, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We must be willing to repent of sin, to turn from living life after our own devices and giving God control and submitting ourselves to him. In Acts 17, 30, 31, the Bible declares, at the times of this ignorance, God winked. But now he commands that all men everywhere repent, for he has appointed the day, a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has uh, ordained. And he has given assurance to all men by raising Christ Jesus from the dead. We must confess faith in Christ. In Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus declares, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And then in Acts 2, 38, when the gospel message was preached, there were, there, there were those there that were pricked by the message. And they asked effectively, what is it we need to do to be reconciled to God? And in verse 38, Peter answered, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we submit to God's demands, according to the gospel, in the waters of baptism, he washes away our sins, indwells us with his spirit, and he adds us to the church, and thereafter requires that we live obediently in his service. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, the Bible declares that we are to walk worthy of the vocation with which we have been called. Perhaps you're here this morning or you're listening uh, via one of the social media outlets. Uh, if that be the case, then we bid you to reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. Uh, if you're in our audience, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.